Well, um, I'd like to welcome our satellites uh, and others who are watching us uh, online and such. Thanks for joining us. We uh, wish you could be with us or we could be with you, depending on where you are. Um, that would be really great. But we, we're grateful for you and pray blessings on you as we finish out this 10-week Bible study on just the first five chapters of Romans. We'll pick up again in January um, with this amazing book. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? It's, uh, I was thinking about uh, low these nine weeks and talking about the gospel. It's really, we're talking about the gospel, the, the pain and the glory of the gospel. The pain for me is both what Jesus suffered um, being misunderstood in his life, what he suffered physically, and then his greatest suffering was taking all sin on him. The gospel has a lot of suffering. And then as uh, over the weeks when Cheryl's talked about sin and um, the day that she said, I just want you to sit and like think about your sin. Like just sit in that for a minute and think, well, that'll bring him back. Uh, but it was such an extraordinary experience. It was like, it was really like, <clears throat> if we don't understand sin, we don't understand grace. It's like if you've never been sad, you don't even know what happy is. And so it's like understanding our sin. So the suffering, even that we feel for both how we've broken God's heart, but also how we've broken our own hearts through sin. So the, the glory and the suffering of the gospel. And so we're going to continue. It's been a lot of information, like drinking from a fire hose, I think, and um, unpacking some of these concepts. And today is a little bit like that at first, so I hope you'll... Uh, Hang with me, because it's all good. It's all really good, every way that we look at the gospel. On December 8th, 1941, the U.S. declared war on Japan. One day after, Japan bombed the U.S. base and the island in Hawaii. If you've ever been to Pearl Harbor, it is a stunning memorial. You get a feel for how awful that must have been. So the U.S. declared war. Now, what did it mean? it meant that every U.S. citizen had declared war on Japan. Now, I don't, I don't think my uncles like declared war on Japan, but they all went into the service, fought for our country because of what they believed, because they were American. And so with the, with the presidential edict that declares war on Japan, we're all at war. Headlines, America at war with Japan. Well, I'm an American, but I didn't feel like I was at war. But it's a thing called federal head is the concept. And what federal head is, when someone has the, the power, the ability, the authority to speak something into existence, and all of us are with it. So America declares war, it meant that we declared war because of federal head whether it's in politics or social structures, tribal patterns even, federal headship is when a group of people are included in the actions of one person or group of leaders, called federal head. Romeo and Juliet, we know their story. I, they didn't hate each other. If you haven't read it or seen the movie, they liked each other a lot. But their families were at war federal head. The family said, we hate the Capulets. We hate the Montagues. We hate them. We have nothing to do with them. 
But they didn't choose it. It was chosen for them because of federal head. Hatfields and McCoys, two families somewhere that battled for generations. I mean, literally, generation after generation, they were at war somewhere in the hills because their great-great-grandparents hated each other. Some dispute over a stillery or something like that. <laughs> Some hooch divided two families. Hooch did it. In our American culture, we're particularly offended by the idea of federal head. We don't like anybody making our decisions. You don't speak for me. I, um, this is going to shock some of you. I have a tendency to be kind of independent and don't <laughs> like anyone to speak for me. I don't like being categorized. People say, oh, you're a Christian. I'm proud to be a Christian. But if I don't like the way they said it, I said, tell me what you mean by that. Because <laughs> I want to stand on my own merit or failures. Well, I want to stand on my own merit. I don't want to fail ever. But there's this thing that in America, because we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, we think we have a say in everything. Nobody speaks for us. But it doesn't work that way. Now, we live in a country where we get to say what we don't agree with. But there's still something, this federal head principle, that determines who we will be, what we will do. And we work within that context. As Americans, often it's okay that we don't agree with what's going on, whoever is over us. We, we go to a church, we, when I, the church in America, by and large, at least CA for sure, we, our leaders don't tell us what to do. They might teach the word, but this is not, there's no control coming from above for us. This is not a federal head. It's a community of people. We know of cults where that's not true, where the leader is federal head, has absolute control over everything within that cult. So as we study Romans 5, verses 12 to 21, that you've already studied, we're going to look at this concept. And so... I want to start, this isn't the full passage, just some highlights that will set up this first part I want to talk to you about. It starts with verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam messed it up. Says in verse 12, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. I wasn't even there. You weren't there. What did Adam do? Adam and Eve defied God. He said, I've made this garden for you. There's just this one tree I don't want you to eat of. It wasn't the tree of, of life. It wasn't the the feel-good tree, it wasn't the happy tree. It wasn't the joy tree or the peace tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had made them and he knew he didn't build them to know evil. 
that wasn't what they were created for. So he said, this tree, not good for you. We're going to try it and see if he's right. Now, I've always looked at this concept as though Adam and Eve sinned, and so their kids did, because we know about Cain and Abel. If you don't, you can look it up. It's in Genesis. So Cain and Abel, that hatred and jealousy. So I'm sure their kids did. And so we're generations, I mean, thousands of years, generations later, they just started a mess and it just rolled right down to us. So we're sinners because they were and they were and they were and they were and it just keeps getting worse. But in reality, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about federal head. When it says Adam, in other places it says Adam is the first man. Adam is the representation of all humanity. So when Adam sinned, federal head, we sinned. When Adam declared war and defied God, we all declared war and defied God. So it's not just that I'm trying hard to overcome what Adam did. You cannot. You can't make a statement in the middle of World War II that I am not at war with Japan. Well, you could. It doesn't change anything. Because it's not just that Adam and then Cain and then all the others coming for generations kept mucking it up and now we can't help ourselves. It's not that. It's that we were in Adam, federal head. He defied God. And as a representative of all humankind, we were there with him defying God. Declared war. And we were part of it. But we wouldn't have done that. We probably would have. Because we're doing it now. We stop to consider what it means to be dead in our sin. We've done that along the way. What does it mean to be dead in our sin? It means that we have in us, from before we were ever even thought of, before our great-great-great-greats were ever thought of, we defied God. So it is in our DNA that we sin, that we are sinners. Sin nature is what the Bible calls it in some places. This doesn't set well because it's not fair. But I didn't do it. So I shouldn't have to live with this because we Americans, we believe in fair. Unless it doesn't work for us, then we don't believe in fair. About 14 months ago, my friends Titus and Julie Boyt, who many of you will know, are, um, are international leaders in Kenya. Julie was a, is a part of CA, and she went over over 15 years ago now, went over to um, help start a couple of orphanages in Kenya and a clinic. She worked there. Over time, she, um, God put this dream for her, uh, in her for a hospice where people could die with dignity and without pain. And so uh, she did, because she's that kind of girl. And uh, in this process, she met Titus, who's an amazing man. And uh, I have a little girl named Ella, who is now five. And she's been serving over there, living over there. She considers herself probably more Kenyan than American at this point. And uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, there was a woman who died in childbirth. 
and that little baby, the youngest of seven kids, the father had died just a few months before. And so we have seven orphans, and this newborn baby couldn't be put in the, um, could have been put in the hospice, but newborn babies, if you've ever seen one or had one, they need someone there all the time. So Titus and Julie brought this baby to their house to care for it until it could be turned back over to the family, aunts and uncles or whatever else. Well, they ended up adopting Ryan, who is now um, two and a half. He'll be three in April. And about a year into his life, uh, they discovered that he had sickle cell disease. So they tested the siblings, and three of the seven have sickle cell. Sickle cell disease is very common in African American or African culture in, in the people. Uh, and so in Kenya, <coughs> if you're born with sickle cell, the average lifespan is five years. In the US, sickle cell, 97% of people live a full life. It's a drastic difference, isn't it? So they began praying and trying to decide. So Ryan, his brother Geoffrey, who is now four, also has sickle cell. There's another sister who is seven who has sickle cell. And then the 11-year-old sister, now 12, named Sharon, did not have and was a perfect match for Ryan and Geoffrey, but not for their sister, for Ryan and Geoffrey. So I began this long process where 14 months ago, they came to the U.S., Titus and Julie, Titus' sister Linda to help with stuff, and then their daughter Ella, Ryan, Geoffrey, and Sharon. And just about a year ago, 13 months ago, they started the process of bone marrow transplant. The thing about bone marrow transplant is this little one-and-a-half-year-old who's already very sick because the sickle cell just is a, an immune deficiency disease that just tears up the body. So he's very sick. They had to get him well enough to start. And then they give him chemo to kill out everything of health in him to prepare for the bone marrow transplant. And in the midst of this, that little boy was so sick. He almost died several times. I was so privileged to get to sit with Julie next to his bed sometimes. Saddest place I've ever been, but there's nowhere else I would rather have been. And this, is, this was Ryan in the midst of that. Do we have his picture? That's Ryan. Never smiled. He was so, so sick. Everything failed. All of his organs failed. They didn't think he'd make it. You guys kept praying, we kept praying, and they came over for lunch Monday, two days ago, and Ryan was there. This is what Ryan looks like now. That's Ryan. You would never, never know that little boy had ever been sick. Honestly, there's nothing sickly about him. He's two, and he's good at it. He is, <laughs> he's both sweet, and willful, like every two-year-old I've ever met. He's a boy. Then they began the same process with Geoffrey, who just recently has begun to, to feel like himself. 
What a long journey. What happened? It was in their DNA. Nobody chose sickle cell for them. There was some, in a, in a, in a physical way, there was a federal head whose DNA matched with that DNA who brought down sickle cell. And these innocent little boys and their sister who is still yet to be determined how to help her. They didn't have a choice in it. But they're the result of a system that created this. They couldn't do it. They couldn't try harder. They couldn't just try harder to not be sickle cell. Wouldn't work. They couldn't work harder. They needed a rescue. And if we understand who we are in Adam, we realize we can't work harder. That's what we keep trying to do. I know if I can just be gooder, then it'll be okay. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't try harder. You need a rescue, just like those boys did. It's wonderful news. Thank heavens that we don't have to live in Adam because we've been reborn, because there's a new hope for us. Picking up uh, with uh, verse 14, it says, Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift, oh, and the result of Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Even though. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Bottom line is this. What Adam did matters to us because of federal head. What he did is who we are. It matters. What matters more is that Christ, what the Bible calls the second Adam, the second representative of all mankind. It's why God came in human form. He walked this planet, not just because it was an edict from above, but because he became the God-man, fully man, walked this, walked this earth, lived as a human being so that he could reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. What happened at Geth, in the Garden of Gethsemane reversed what happened in the Garden of Eden. It blew it up. And the thing is that when Adam sinned, it was just like, I just want to, he defied God like this. I, I just want to try this. What Jesus did was knowing what he was taking on. Adam was clueless, as are we most of the time. Jesus knew what he was taking on. All the sins of all mankind, he gathered in on himself. Federal head, that's what he did for us. What he says now is much more important than whatever Adam ever said or did. So what does this mean for us? Why does it matter? Because God declares us free. He says we are free. And that supersedes any declaration that's ever been made about you. 
or me. He says you are righteous. And that supersedes any other declaration that's been made. In, uh, when the U.S., uh, when we were at war with Japan after we declared war, a lot of Japanese uh, U.S. citizens or immigrants or naturalized citizens lived in the U.S. And because of the nature of declaring war and because of fear, the Japanese in the U.S. were put in internment camps. Keep them there until we see if they're on our side or theirs. That's what declarations of war do, doesn't it? I uh, read a book um, that had to do, it was called Homefront, it had to do with the state of the U.S. during World War II at home. Not about our military, but here. And while our soldiers are over there fighting for civil rights, for the rights of the Jews and other countries who are being overrun by the Nazis, back here, we're interning Japanese Americans. African Americans in the U.S. that joined the military died for our country, were treated so differently than whites. Women who were engaged, whether at, at home, in working, where men used to work, or in the military were treated differently. It wasn't fair. It didn't make sense. And when I was reading about these Japanese in the internment camp, because see, their circumstances said they were not free. So they could have gotten really mad. They could have fought. They could have said, you want to treat me that way? I'll contact my relatives and I'll become like a subversive here in the U.S. I don't know that that happened, but the vast majority of the stories I read were about these people, these amazing people who had done nothing but be born Japanese. It was in their DNA. Couldn't help themselves, they were born Japanese. And then somebody declares war against somebody who had already declared war against them and they find themselves in internment camp. So you know what most of them did? They lived lives of dignity. They had lost everything. Their property was taken, their possessions, all of that, their land, their homes, and they're put in these, I mean, sometimes they just almost freeze to death in these, these barracks that had been set up for them. They married, they had kids, they lived as families, they lived lives of dignity, though their circumstances looked otherwise. Until once again, somebody got a clue and they lived free again. See, that's not unlike us. We look around us and we say, I'm, I'm not really free. We look at our circumstances. The old rule is completely defeated, but it doesn't give up easily. Adam's DNA, that old sin thing, is done with. But it's loud. It may not have control, but it is darn loud in our lives. And God keeps saying, you're free. You're free, I made you free. And we listen to other declarations. You are no longer under the headship of sin. It's a fact. You don't have to live that way. So we can choose to be free people because we are. We choose daily whether we will live as people of God's kingdom or victims of the great unfair. 
victims of the great liar. The Bible says the enemy has a plan, kill, steal, and destroy. It's pretty clear. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's always trying to do. And sometimes we believe him. We believe God is not good. We believe we don't have the power to live a different way. We believe that other people are against us when they're not. We believe that we can't do or can't have or can't make a difference in the world. We believe all this stuff that comes out of the wrong garden. What God declares about you is the final word. That's, that's your head. That's the federal head over you. That's the authority. Don't settle for less. I love in, uh, I watched the video of Cheryl when she taught last week and she got the card from, a uh, birthday card I think it was from a family and I think it was an 11-year-old boy who wrote in the card, I love you and you love me, of course. <laughs> See, that's what we need to believe. You love me, of course. I mean, I'm one of those that's like, really? Because I don't always get it. How could he? Why would he? But that's not the big question. The big question is, how can I live a life of of course? You love me, of course. Not because I'm all that in a bag of chips, because he is. Because he's so amazing. And that's what he offers. This is really Paul's main point. point. You are loved so totally, so incredibly. Now, Paul sometimes can get into these really, he was really smart. He gets into these heady kind of deep defenses of the gospel. But he's really saying this, the gospel is and it works. Jesus did do what the word says. He did it for you and you are free. And he goes about it in these first five chapters like proving that it was by the power it's that the gospel is proved by the power of the gift of grace. It's proved by the suffering and death of Jesus that really happened. It's proved by the power that resurrected him from the dead. It's proved by the presence of his Holy Spirit today in us and for us and with us. It's proved by his church, us, who over centuries have, have held to faith. It's proved by all those who have walked in faith whose lives have been absolutely transformed. That's the bottom line. Jesus is who he says. God is who he says he is. You are who God says you are. Question now becomes, will we live that way? Can we live that way? Yes, if we will choose it. I don't know what baggage you carry, what weighs you down. I'm not talking circumstances, because the truth is, we, I mean, there are physical ailments. Some of you have been through really terrible physical times. I have friends who literally are dying right now. Cancer or other things. This world is not eternal. This part of it is not eternal. So this is our internment camp. How will we live? Will we believe what our king says? about us or will we let the enemy defeat us and live so much less than we were ever created for I have an opinion what we should do 
I think we should go for that. Shocking, huh? I think I should go for that. I want to, uh, I want to close with prayer, but I want to take a second, just have you be quiet. And just, um, I want to ask God on, for all of us. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, for each of us, Lord, what, would you just show us an area where we're giving in to the spirit of this world, where we're listening to the voice of the enemy, where we're living out of Adam's DNA. And God, what do you want to move us into freedom? What is it that holds us back? What belief or attitude, what voice in our head continues to condemn? Speak to us, Father, I pray. And then, Holy Spirit, as you do, as you bring that to mind, I pray that the grace of God, the love of God, in full measure, would just be released on these women, on everyone hearing my voice. God, may the power of your Holy Spirit defeat the plan of the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy our freedom, our joy, our peace, our hope, and our purpose. We say no. We say no today. May we truly live in what it means to be born again, born new in Christ, new DNA, new dad, new federal head, new lifestyle, new life values. Greater peace and joy that's ever been known. Come, Lord. Meet us in this place, I pray. Give us the courage to walk as you've called us to. Amen.